we don't like anyone that likes that's super passionate about cannabis because then they're just using the product all day and that's not that's not who we want right like we don't <laughs> want someone who's like oh man i love sativa i i smoke it every morning right that's like an automatic like no dude like not here i do your returns better when i'm on sativa <laughs> yes yeah, like, that's great but not here um we focus on the work itself not so much the industry we serve and we love people that are uh detail-oriented technically accurate have a real passion for numbers have a real passion for analysis that's who generally tends to succeed not always people that are just super passionate about cannabis um but it's one of those it's one of those industries that's kind of um an oxymoron almost because you want someone to work in it but you also don't want them really to be like super obsessed about the product per se welcome to afo wealth management forward a podcast about finance accounting technology and entrepreneurship we apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally in this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success. A podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm again joined by Will Hill of Will Hill Consults. Will, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. In fact, before recording, <laughs> which today happens to be a Thursday, I said happy Wednesday. And when you told me it was Thursday, I was like, that's great. This week is even closer to being over. So I'm in a great mood right now. All right. It's almost Friday. Yes. Yes. Well, we have a great guest with us today. Uh, let me introduce him. He has worked at Deloitte and PwC. He is the founder of Green Growth CPAs, a leading CPA firm that offers tax, audit, and accounting services to the cannabis and medical marijuana industries. He's here to talk about the power of a niche, of digital marketing, and outsourcing. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Derek Davis. Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, great, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. So we always uh, start out here and like to get an origin story, a background uh, from our guests. Can you kind of talk about uh, how you uh, came to to get into this cannabis niche space? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would probably say around 2015, 2014, 2015, early 2016, the regulatory bodies from uh, legalized states, you know, Colorado, Washington, Oregon started coming out with their uh, tax revenues and they were big. You know, they're their sales were in the hundreds of millions, their, uh, their tax bases were in, you know, the tens of millions. So, you know, it just felt like there was this kind of underground volcano that was about to burst. And here in California, we had Prop 64, which was looking uh, very good in terms of uh, uh, pass rates. So, um, yeah, started it in, I would say May of 2016, just started focusing on this vertical. And then I think by, Probably, I would venture to say around April of 2017, I just decided to exclusively focus on this space. And I had started another company that was focused on the kind of sharing economy. And I, I divested from that and just focused exclusively on cannabis from, from there forward. Yeah. 
And they say the riches are in the niches. Uh, and you've talked about, you know, clients are paying for specialists, not generalists. So can you kind of talk about, uh, you know, the importance of having a niche, uh, niche, 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 when it yeah. comes to, you know, staffing, marketing, selling, and, and, and servicing clients? Yeah, that I think that that's really important whether you are starting out or whether you you know you service a variety of spaces um or let's call it industries having a clear focus helps you in terms of uh understanding and identifying all the uh, applicable rules and regulations helps you in terms of marketing and targeting and um you know people do pay for specialists right like you're not going to see a podiatrist for your heart issues because they're cheaper, right? Like, just not going to work. You're not going to pay someone who only works on roofs to do all your plumbing because they are going to charge you 40% less. Like, you want to make sure things are done correctly and accurately. And um, people that are good generally will charge more for those services. So it, it just, it's better for both the client as well as the practitioner. Derek, one of the things that I hear from, from people when they get into a niche is when they first get in, sometimes there is a thought, whether it's true or not, it's a different discussion, that they're one of the few serving the niche, right? And I say whether it's true, because sometimes we just don't do enough research and we don't, we're not well informed enough to make an accurate decision. But as let's say it is true, and then others start to pile into that niche as well, Sometimes you hear that fear of like, well, I used to have a unique value proposition, but now I don't because everybody and their brother is trying to service the same niche. What are some things you do to assess if that's really true or to maybe to get over yourself in that perspective? That's a really good question. And that literally happened to me, I would say around 2019, where, you know, when I first started servicing the space, I was the only one I was, I was, you know, quite honestly, uh, a little scared to change my LinkedIn profile. Um, but I think good quality service, technical accuracy, and um, just clear focus will always win out. Um, but the problem with any sort of service-based company, regardless of the industry, you will have some someone who will, it's just you in professional services, you don't really have a moat around your business. Like there's no real... Um, there's nothing you can really do to keep people out. Was there anything through that realization as everyone was kind of coming in that you used to help yourself mentally keep pushing forward um, as you were in that spot? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think um, we went through like this, um, just this kind of, journey of when we first started out it was just you know simply tax prep because that's what the space needed and then as we kind of moved forward we then just started swimming upstream so we would have these new guys you know joe's income tax prep and they would come in from the bottom but then we started going upwards to the large regionals big four will still stay away from cannabis in the u.s you know canada big four will take it no problem but in the u.s then we just started swimming upstream and started taking from, you know, top 50 firms and being the low cost provider to them. So I think for us, as new people came in on the bottom, we just had to start swimming upstream and, and being a, a more cost effective option um, as opposed to, you know, the top 50 firms who, who charge pretty good fees. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm sure it had to give you some confidence too, right? Like if, if I'm chasing after this, it feels like it's good. And if other people are coming in, instead of being fearful of that, that should probably propel you forward and say, Hey, other people see it too. I'm not alone. Yeah. And if you're singularly focused, that will also help you a lot more in terms of the content you produce. And if you're not producing content in this day and age, you're pretty much, you're non-existent online. So you have to constantly be pushing content and um, it just will really force you to focus more, push more content. And, you know, there's only, let's just call it 25 to 30,000 operators in the U.S. It just really forces you to focus on how do I get in front of those people all the time. Yeah, let's talk about how you get in front of those people, because we are living in this digital age, uh, Derek. You know, I know you can uh, target that audience when you have that niche. So can you kind of talk about your digital marketing strategy? I know you have a YouTube channel with over 14,000 subscribers. You know, what do you, uh, you know, have as far as a, a digital marketing uh, objective when you're reaching these clients? So one of the things I learned early on at the, um, I would say almost it was at the big four, I was talking to one of my colleagues who was in international tax, I was in transfer pricing, and I had asked her a question. Um, and she was like, I don't know, why don't you Google it? And I'm like, wait, a minute, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, we are the international tax department at PwC. And you're just telling me to go online and figure it out myself. And it was like, okay, well, if that's the case, I'm sure everyone's doing that. And so what I learned over the years is I can tell you step-by-step step how to file your 1120. And at the end, you're going to say, wow, that's really annoying. And I'd rather focus on my business. But while reading that content or consuming that piece of information, you're building trust and rapport every, you know, every, you know, every article, every, you know, every section. So what you can do is you can build that trust. You can build that rapport. And you could tell the audience how to do what they need to get done verbatim, but at the end of the day, probably not going to want to do it. So, you know, I, I think that was historically in professional services. It was like, oh, these are our tax strategies. You know, we're going to keep it close to us. We're not going to tell you. But for us, every, um, you know, 471 allocation or 280E, these are all terms specific to the cannabis industry. Everything we learn, we just blog out, just push out, push out. And uh, what that did was that created kind of an online community for people that were looking to consume this information. And at the end of the day, they realized they just don't really want to deal with it. They'd rather focus on their business. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, you know, digital marketing uh, is one piece that's getting the clients in-house. You know, I, I know you have uh, an outsourced team uh, and we talked about that on our initial conversation. Can you talk about um, what you're looking for when you're hiring overseas and, and the benefits of, of having that team uh, rather than building it in-house here? Yeah, so we are, um, so we do build it in-house. We just have a lot of team members that are all spread throughout the U.S. Um, and what we've found is that, and everything I'm saying um, is almost like well-known stated, but really hard to hire good people in the U.S. They jump around a lot. And so, um, in a professional service organization, there's always three competing forces. There's uh, good client service, there's profitability for the company, and then there's what's good for the employee. And these three forces are always trying to just bang it out. So for example, um, at the big four, you have good client service, you have company profitability, but you have terrible employee 
work balance, right? And that's why people at the big four get burned out. And so you always have out of these three forces, you always have two that will usually work and then one that doesn't work. So, you know, if you are a CPA firm based in the US, you'll have good client service, you'll have happy employees, but then you'll have a terrible margin. And you see that a lot of the times when you look at, you know, firms across um, a, a lot of different industries, but you'll, you know, they hire everyone in the US, they have happy clients, they have happy employees, but then when you look at the PL, it's terrible, right? Like their margins suck. So, our thought process was where do you get all three wins? And we uh, we did that by hiring a lot of people in Eastern Europe and in uh, South America where we were able to provide um, a salary that was uh, a little more than twice as much as they could get locally. So the employee's happy, our margin's still good because it's still less than US and it's good client service. So that those three forces we were able to work out and that was kind of our thought process on, on why we we should hire abroad and you know we like data here so in metrics you know what <laughs> wait what are we looking for as far as salaries for those you know south american eastern european uh workers uh derek yeah so like entry levels anywhere between a thousand and like maybe 1700 a month and then you're looking from like 1750 up to maybe 3000 a month thereafter, depending on level of experience. And a good sign is always to hire someone from the ex big four. They always had the best training um, and they um, like perfect working English and just really like some really, really great people we have on our team. We're, we're very, very fortunate. Yeah. And, and why did you choose Eastern Europe and, and South America uh, in comparison to, let's say, the Philippines or, or India? Yeah, um, I don't really understand why everyone went to India or the Philippines. Uh, the talent pool that we found there has been not like super great. Um, I think for us, I mean, I'm from Southern California, I'm from LA, so I, I've always had like close proximity to Latin America. I've gone surfing there over my like lifetime. It's just a place I've always kind of visited. Um, I know when I was at PwC, we worked a lot with the Buenos Aires office and everyone there has always been just super great. So I've always kind of been um, drawn to that market. And um, yeah, we've just, we've had really great luck there. We, we've tried to hire all throughout the world and it just seems like that's been the best in terms of human capital for us. So I'll just say that I appreciate you looking at the outsource hiring, not purely from the profit perspective, right? I hear, I hear that a lot, like, hey, this is really going to help us drive the margin forward. Um, but to hear that there's, there's consideration on the human element uh, that's there on the other side, I, I think that's phenomenal. No, there's no question baked yeah. in there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, speaking about human capital, you know, it's so important nowadays. And I saw on your site, Derek, that you offer, uh, you know, remote work, uh, a generous uh, paid time off, uh, as well as uh, professional development budgeting. Uh, can you kind of talk about that and building that, that that human capital? Yeah, yeah. So we're in the process of rolling out, you know, English coaches as well, you know, and just really trying to build up our team internally. Um, yeah, like like Will said, happy happy team members are more productive. They're more technically accurate, and they're not they're not making errors. And I think in, in this space, especially on the compliance side, 
if you get someone bad in the seat, they will make your life so bad. You know, you have to deal with, you know, uh, incorrectly, you know, stated returns, filed incorrectly. It's just the nightmares begin to pile up. And unfortunately, we've been able to quickly evaluate and assess people um, before it's gotten bad. I, I think timing wise, you can see within 30 days, if someone is going to be a great asset to the company, or they're just going to take and just kind of pillage the company for its resource and not really provide very much. What's what's the overlap between building the team and passion around whatever that niche happens to be, right? So um, if, you know, maybe I'm not, I'm not a uh, marijuana guy, a cannabis guy of any kind, um, should I, should you not even want to talk to me about working at your firm because I have no interest in the niche? Like, where's the balance point as you get really focused on the niche and it comes to team selection? We don't like anyone that likes that's super passionate about cannabis because then they're just using the product all day. And that's not, that's not who we want, right? Like we don't <laughs> want someone who's like, oh man, I love sativa. I, I smoke it every morning. Right. That's like an automatic, like, no, dude, like not here i do your returns better when i'm on sativa <laughs> yes like, that's great but not here um we focus on the work itself not so much the industry we serve and we love people that are uh detail oriented technically accurate have a real passion for numbers have a real passion for analysis that's who generally tends to succeed not always people that are just super passionate about cannabis um but it's one of those it's one of those industries that's kind of um an oxymoron almost because you want someone to work in it but you also don't want them really to be like super obsessed about the product per se um we always prefer um we've always had the best luck when we hire outside from different industries so you know whether it's project management people just love staying on time staying on top of things or you know uh, human resource people that are just obsessed about making a happy dynamic work culture we look for people that love what they do not necessarily what who we serve per se so i'm i'm glad you said that i think that's a, a common misconception um and, and of course your niche is easy to pick on when it comes to that right yeah. but like you know hey we happen to go serve you know, a, a bunch of people that are chiropractors or whatever it is, you know, don't worry about that. When you go to hire your staff, you still want to, even though you're hyper-focused on your niche, we think about, and there's been a lot of push around, Hey, do what you're passionate about. And let's not conflate the action of what we're doing and the impact of that action versus what industry that the receiving client is a part of. I don't think we have to try to thread that needle all the way through. And if you try to, it's going to be a recipe of frustration. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe this is a question for you, Will, uh, because you deal with a lot of firms and, and Derek, you can uh, piggyback off what Will says. You know, if you're a firm that's more of a generalist and you're looking to niche, you know, what are the steps that you kind of need to go through to start niching into a specific or how do I you identify? Do you go through your client list and start identifying sectors that uh, you are successful in? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm imagining a big ship here and it's, it's tough to turn a big ship 
uh, maybe some of these firms to, to kind of go into these niches. Uh, Will, if you want to comment on yeah. that. So I don't think you have to worry about turning the ship. I think you have to worry about focus, right? And things will grow where you focus them uh, at. So I would say that if, if I decide mm, it's niche time, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to look at where are we already in a niche and we just haven't labeled it as such or, Hey, firm, everyone in the firm, write down the last three clients where we made a big impact for them and they were super excited about it. And we think we could do it again. And then let's go look at the commonalities of those clients. And you may have to start with focus is important, but as you're trying to get there, you may have to start with, let's look at the business operating model first. Hey, we seem to be doing great things with places that have inventory. Okay. That's level one. Now that we're there, we're kind of focused in there. Let's tune in a little bit more and say, which type of business or industry of those that have inventory do we seem to gravitate to, or does our value proposition seem to resonate with, or do we have reach for if we're a local firm, as opposed to being a distributed firm? So I think that's where a firm can really get in. Use your people. Where, where have they had good access to? Look at what's already in the client base. Derek, I'll let you uh, go from there. Yeah, I think picking the correct niche will then, it pretty much determines your success, right? Because um, you have to really think about what niches are growing tremendously, what are hopefully being underserved, and then why you, right? So if, if you say, oh, I want to build a practice around private equity, why you? You know, there's every big force focus on private equity. It's been around now for several decades, you know, like why do you think you will build out a niche in it or real estate or, you know, financial services, you know, just picking a niche alone and just focusing on it may not get you where you want to go um, based on the maturity of the market and the, the people that are already servicing it. So it's, it's just really important to hone in and really mindfully kind of pick and choose and determine which one you want to go into. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, bro. As I think that's why it's really important to know if you've already served that type of client and done well for them, what have you done well? And can you repeat it? I, I think that becomes important uh, in some of those more mature uh, markets for sure. And then Derek, I guess when you pick that niche, my question is from a marketing perspective, what do you do first? How do you start a, a, a marketing to that niche? Do you start blogging first? Do you start podcasting to a YouTube channel? You know, what's that first step? Yeah, I think picking the right channel is really important, right? Because you don't want to push your content on TikTok. That's just not going to get <laughs> right? So it's like picking the platform and then picking how you want to convey the information. And the best way to go about creating new content is just taking your existing client's issues. So it's like, oh, this person had this issue. Okay, let's do a blog, let's do a video, let's do content. And just constantly doing that flywheel of, okay, what issues do people have? Let's blog about it. Let's evaluate it. How many new people that brought in? Let's analyze it and then just constantly doing that. And that's really the best way to build content is based on one person's issue. Because if that one person's dealing with it, probably a hundred, a thousand of the people online that are dealing with it that are looking for the same information. Yeah. Derek, what about um, uh, referral source marketing as opposed to just 
straight to your end consumer when you're in a niche going into, in your case, other accounting firms say, Hey, we specialize in cannabis. So if you have a client that that's starting to dabble into that, you know, I'm going to be better serving them than you. If you want to stay out of it, Uh, how much effort do you do in that sort of realm? I'll be honest. I haven't had very much success in, in referrals. So I've more or less stayed away from it completely. I've never really found anyone that will sell our company better than we do because referrals do work and you know we send a lot of work around but um if you want to really take ownership of your growth you have to you have to establish that rapport and that open line of communication between the customer and you like you know no cpa no other cpa firms re- does really cares about growing my business the only person that cares about our growth is our team um but i, I do know people have had success in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, segueing a little bit, I just uh, saw that Ron Baker came out with his book, Time's Up, and he's big on the subscription model. So, you know, my question to you, Derek, uh, do you do subscription? What type of pricing do you do uh, at your firm? Yeah, so uh, we definitely do uh, like monthly accounting services. That's, I would recommend any CPA firm that's probably sub, you know, 50 people, 50, 100 people to, to roll that out because of the peaks and valleys in accounting in terms of revenue recognition. Like it's, it's, it allows you to kind of have a smooth line um, monthly income that's dependable, but you know, it's really hard to run a company when you have, when um, income is hard to predict when it comes in, you know, maybe it comes in in March or April because when times are good in those busy seasons, you're like, oh man, let's reinvest here, here, here. But then when June, July roll around, it's like, oh my God, we're, you know, it's, it's, you know, the desert here, like let's pull back everything. And then, so I, I think, you know, everyone in a small firm should definitely roll it out and pricing can be anywhere between, you know, let's call it 2,500 to 10,000 a month. But I, I think where a lot of smaller firms can find success is people don't really business owners don't really know how to run accounting departments. And then, you know, anytime a, a firm goes into uh, a small business, they'll see just, you know, basic things of not even collecting on their on their revenues and setting up AR aging schedules or, you know, just like the basic stuff that can increase their revenue. But I, I think that's, that's pretty much a must if, um, if you don't have that already set up. And what are some of the, the the big pain points when you start working with these marijuana firms? I'm sure there's a lot of enthusiasts, marijuana enthusiasts who, you know, may not be the savviest uh, business uh, operators out there. So, you know, when you get on these firms, what are the what are the first things that you run into uh, when working with them? Uh, poor cash controls. So, you know, they're, um, you know, they have all this cash. All yeah. of a sudden, we uh, flush with cash. Yeah. We, this happened about three years ago, but we had a client that had a million dollars missing. So it was on there <laughs> and lo and behold, we found out when the partners stole it, it was on the PL and on the, it was, excuse me, it was on the balance sheet, you know, extra million dollars in cash, but we went through all their safes, counted all the money and we're like, can't find it. So, you know, we just uncovered huge cash issues. And I think that's really where some of the issues start to arise. Um, I think AR is a really big issue. There's tons of deadbeats 
uh, in cannabis, you know, um, if you can always do COD. Um, but I, I think it's, I think for better or worse, it's, it's the types of people that the industry attracts that generally kind of, that's where the problems start to start to begin. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, you know, wrapping up here, uh, COVID uh, was a major hit, um, you know, to uh, so many people out there. What happened with the cannabis base during that time? Did you, you know, did you see an increase in in the amount of of, of business for for those companies? Yeah, uh, we grew a ton during COVID. Um, primarily because we were always remote first. We didn't we don't really do very many networking events, so it just attracted our our numbers started really really. We were doing like I think maybe fifty to sixty five thousand uniques a month across all digital assets like our just everyone just started consuming information and then on the flip side i think a lot of these covid um these covid stimulus plans people just went to the dispensary and bought bought bunches of weed yeah. and like sales just that's like, what i figured <laughs> yeah it was like hey we got free money and we're sitting at home let's buy some weed and so just like sales just really just yeah. went up you know i think it was <laughs> it was a great time for those people all right People are on their home on the couch smoking weed. <laughs> smoking weed, watching Netflix. Yeah, that's pretty much Watching it. Netflix, smoking weed. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, Derek, so what do you have going on here in the future? Uh, what's the what's the plans for Green Growth CPA? Yeah, so we're really excited. We won the Ohio Retail Lottery. We're, we're really applying all of uh, the insight we've gained over these last six years to identify and go after operational opportunities in emerging markets. And I think that's what, um, that's what keeps me up at, at, at yeah. night and wakes me up in the morning, which I, I I'm super excited about. Yeah. How, how many States is it now legal in? 39. 39. Uh, I have to look or that like some sort of like, whether decriminalized or, yeah. you know, some sort of thing like, along those lines it's it's yeah it's we're we're getting close to almost everyone and you guys do service canada as well correct yeah we have a bunch of canadian publicly traded companies uh when companies first started going public in 2018 2019 they were all getting listed on the cse is is easier than than here um so yeah we got we're registered with the canadian board of Counseling. very nice all right well do you have any questions uh, for derek well, I am, I am curious, Derek, do you, do you view federal decriminalization of cannabis as a risk to your business? Because part of the reason accounting firms stay out of it is they don't want to mess with the state versus federal difference in reporting and guidelines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. I have kind of like two separate trains of thoughts. One is um, it won't hurt us because a lot of these clients are nightmares. You know, they're just, they are product enthusiasts. You know, you, you really don't want to deal with these people. So when like a, you know, top 20 firm lists cannabis on their site, I'm always like, are you sure you want to deal with these guys? <laughs> so, you know, there's that train of thought. The other one though, is that the U S markets will open up and we'll see a big boom in IPOs potentially. I mean, the markets have been terrible this year, but there's that train of thought as well. So um, I don't know, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see, but I don't think federal legalization will have 
that big of a windfall because states will still have their own respective rules and regulations. So I, I, I think it will open up banking and 280 will go away, which disallows sales and marketing expenses um, if they deschedule, of course. So, um, you know, there's, there's some things that will go away, but um, I think uh, it's, it, it won't be that different than it is today. And I also think when, when you look at a state that goes um, medical or rec, it's not like everyone starts smoking weed. Like, you know, you'll see the highest state is around uh, Oklahoma, which is about 9.6% of the general population adoption rate. Many states are still in the, anywhere in that one to 3% of general population in terms of uh, customers. So, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, they legalize it and all of a sudden everyone, you know, buys a bong. Like I just, oh, you know, the, the people's consumption habits will largely remain the same. Interesting. All right, Derek, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If people want to reach you or Green Growth CPA, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, just go to greengrowthcpas.com and there's a contact us page and, and someone from our team will um, love to reach out. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here, Rory. All right, Derek, appreciate it. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.